Welcome to Fireside Football, presented by Empire Sports Media. With a little switch up today, I'm Dylan Price, joined by o- or joined as always by Brendan Carpenter. And today's guest, he is an NFL writer at CBS Sports. He's wrote for 24-7 Sports and Fox Sports Knoxville in the past. He's also been on CBS Radio, ESPN Radio, and Fox Sports Radio. He is the incredible Jordan Dijani. Jordan, how's it going? Hey guys, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. So, Jordan, before we get into some football talk here, I'm just a little curious. So your career thus far has been pretty impressive. You know, you're a young guy already working at CBS Sports. So I'm curious your career path and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, it's a, it's been pretty lucky, honestly. Um, this was uh, a field I always wanted to be in. So I was 100% on doing what I'm doing in high school. So I went to the University of Tennessee for uh, schooling, uh, got involved with their journalism programs and TV, radio, got my hands on everything I could possibly do there, was able to score some pretty sweet internships in college. Um, I worked in the NBA G League, helped start up the uh, Charlotte Hornets G League team, the Greensboro Swarm, so I worked out of Greensboro for half a year, and then I ended up going to ESPN to work in uh, social media and production, Uh, so I was there for an entire summer, met some cool people, obviously. And uh, then I was able to land the 247 job. They had an NFL sector at that time. So uh, once 247 decided they want to go in a different direction, get back to their roots, go back to kind of high school recruiting, college football analysis, I was able to uh, score a promotion to CBS Sports. So that's where I am now for the past year and a month, I guess I should say. And it's been a blast. That's awesome, man. So let's get to your forte here now. To start off, do you see the NFL getting through the entire season? And if not, what steps do you think the league has to take in order to get a full season in? You know, that's a big question. If you ask my opinion, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic. So right now I say, I'll say yes. I mean, Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network just came out and said that they have 0.46% positive overall tests in the NFL. And that's pretty good right now. Those are really good numbers. It's probably as good as you could expect. Of course, you probably would see a spike in those numbers um, as we move into teams traveling and then the regular season, of course. But the real thing it hinges on, and this answers your second question about can the NFL pull something off, what they're going to have to do is be able to play through positive tests. Now, Of course, we saw with the MLB when the Marlins kind of went down with their minor outbreak. That's when the league supposedly was getting a little worried about if they were going to be able to uh, conduct a safe regular season. If that happens in the NFL or the NBA or whatever sport you want to fill in the blank there, they're going to have to be able to play through those minor outbreaks. Now, that could mean a hundred different things, obviously, whether that's delaying a team schedule, whether that's pulling up more people from your practice squad. You're going to have to have your options open with that, but that's going to be the key in my opinion, for the NFL conducting a regular season. You're going to have to, of course, abide by those safety protocols, try to try to continue to learn more about those as we go on. But you also are you're not going to have to be derailed by some of these positive tests because if you have a minor outbreak, honestly, you should expect that at this point and just try to con- confine it as much as you possibly can. So that's the biggest X factor, how the NFL will handle, those, handle a minor outbreak, something like that. Um, and of course, travel with teams as they continue to see what might be a spike in those positive tests. Now, 
something that you kind of just touched on there, and to your point, they've had the opportunity to kind of see how other leagues have handled outbreaks. And one thing that the NBA did, aside from the bubble, is establish a COVID hotline. You talked about this in a recent article, but how do you think a COVID hotline is kind of going to work in the NFL setting? Do you think it's going to be kind of for snitches, or do you think it's going to be a genuine hotline really to limit the cases in the NFL? Yeah, so the COVID hotline for the NFL is actually kind of interesting because the NBA hot snitch hotline was for snitches, I guess you could say. If you saw Dwight Howard hanging out with his boys uh, and he's not wearing a mask, then anyone could call up and, and snitch on Dwight Howard. In the NFL's case, it's actually going to be for all the players collectively to snitch on teams, their teams itself, if they're not abiding by safety protocols or they think that something can go better. At this point, it's still, of course, the NFLPA versus the NFL itself. So this is like a checks and balances system for the NFLPA, those actual players they're representing, um, to make sure that their teams are abiding by all safety standards because – Obviously, that's going to keep this thing on track if everyone stays safe. So the NFLPA set up that check system of checks and balances to make sure their players feel safe and to correct any issues they may come across. Now, some I, oh, to your point, Brendan, you want to go? Yeah, I just had a quick, um, hmm. quick question. Now, staying with COVID a little bit before I throw this back to Dylan, you wrote about this next point recently, and you know it's kind of funny to me how the Raiders had that zoom call with their players and they pretended like coach john gruden was in the hospital banning paneling covid and i thought that was just a very interesting and somewhat funny way to a fan on how to approach teaching people how to deal with the possibility of anything happening what are your personal feelings about how they handled that and if that was an appropriate way to teach their players yeah, you know, I love John Gruden. I love the Gruden family in general. And, I mean, that's just totally on, on point for him, right? I mean, that's something that John Gruden would definitely do. In terms of it being appropriate, I mean, it's not something that deeply offended me. But, yeah, it's probably a little inappropriate. I know people that I worked with thought it was inappropriate. So I had to write that article, you know, in the middle of the road uh, without trying to diss on John Gruden too much because th there are people out there that's going to think that's absolutely ridiculous and he should never do that. But whoever the reported it – Whatever guy with the NFL Network said that apparently it was some lesson that the players took to heart. So I, I guess that was the purpose they were trying to serve. So I, I guess that everything was okay. So <laughs> it was a pretty interesting story, though. To me, I said to Brendan before we went on air, it seemed like something straight out of the office. <laughs> Yeah, ex yeah, Michael Scott would definitely do something like that where he would he would lie and say that uh, Toby infected him with COVID or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> now, one thing that you kind of touched on there about adapting is something that has become a common theme throughout the NFL with the opt-outs. There's been some really big ones, some not-so-big ones, but if you could kind of pinpoint a few players that really stand out to you as kind of game-changing opt-outs. Yeah, so honestly, um, I want to use the word underwhelming in terms of the deadline. I mean, we were running like a live blog and everything. We were expecting some really big names to come through the wire, and they didn't, which really is a good thing, but it was underwhelming for our work day, of course. I mean, the biggest names, of course, have to be Damian Williams because of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from, from LSU, the rookie, obviously. They thought they were going to have a big running back battle, so obviously he's going to take over in the backfield there for uh, Damian for Damian Williams. Um, but I wrote a takeaways piece that did pretty well. It was kind of like a 10 takeaways piece. So obviously the Patriots, they, they lost eight players, I think. And a lot of those guys were pretty important. I know I have Marquise Lee, the former Jacksonville wideout on one of my fantasy dynasties. So I was kind of upset about that. 
Uh, Lucas Niang from the Chiefs, he was a rookie offensive lineman. They were hoping to come in and make an immediate impact. He opted out as well. Uh, then, of course, Tredavious White. I mean, he was someone who was very publicly um, considering opting out, and he did not. So that was a good thing for them. And then, honestly, probably the biggest name uh, that opted out, in my opinion, was C.J. Mosley. I mean, this was a guy who was seen as one of the premier inside backers over the past few years. Of course, his first year with the Jets did not go well, so I thought he was really going to be motivated to show what he's worth in that big contract he signed in 2020, but he opted out, so that, that, was, a little, uh, that was a little surprising to me. Um, apart from that, I guess, I guess the Dolphins, too. They lost two of their top wideouts and Alan Hearns and Albert, Albert Wilson, but I'm a big Preston Williams fan, so I, th- I think that he's going to be able to come in and kind of fill that gap. So we, we didn't necessarily see any huge names. Of course, there was no starting quarterbacks that opted out, so that's a good thing for the NFL, that they didn't lose an incredible amount of talent. Yeah, Dylan and I cover the New York Jets for Empire Sports Media, so when that news came out, that definitely put some storm clouds over my head for the rest of the day. But uh, So, talk, you talk about wide receivers a little bit, especially with the Dolphins, and as for rookie wide receivers, I'm curious, which of the top three quote-unquote rookie wide receivers do you see having the best chance to succeed this season? Is it Henry Ruggs in Vegas? Is it Jerry Judy in Denver? Or do you see CeeDee Lamb in Dallas as the third receiver there really having a big year? Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, this is probably like the deepest wide receiver class I feel like we've seen in, in a long time. And I don't care if you're taking one in the first round or in the seventh round. This is a guy who has probably a lot of potential. So you, you brought up Henry Ruggs, of course, the top receiver taken. You, you know, he's not the complete package. He's not exactly the complete package, but he also has that breakaway speed. So he definitely can make an impact, especially with somebody um, like John Gruden in the Raiders. I mean, they're, they love that kind of speed. I mean, they drafted Darius Hayward Bay like 10th overall a couple of, a few years ago. So Ruggs is going to be someone I would imagine to come in and, and they'll pinpoint exactly on offense. So he'll have those opportunities to make a big impact. Uh, the other one is Justin Jefferson. I mean, there was a guy from the, from the NFL Network that reported a longtime scout uh, claimed that Justin Jefferson was the best ever wide receiver he ever studied. Uh, he had some monster games at LSU with Joe Burrow. He's going to be able to come in with the Vikings and immediately take over Stephon Diggs' place out wide opposite of Adam Thielen. So before you start drafting for fantasy, def- definitely keep Justin Jefferson in mind. And then, of course, um, C.D. Lamb. I mean, w- that was a guy who a lot of people thought were the top, was the top wideout in the NFL or this NFL draft class, and he fell all the way to 17, and the Dallas Cowboys were able to scoop him up. So he's a guy you have to imagine that he's going to make an immediate impact as a rookie as well. He's one of those guys who's, like Jerry Judy, is more of a full package, who I'm comfortable running any route on the route tree, his speed, his possession – He's a guy that I really like. And, of course, we know that Jerry Jones is high on him, too, just judging by the jersey number he gave him. So he's another guy that you should probably expect to have a pretty successful rookie season. Now, sticking with another Minnesota, well, former Minnesota receiver in Stephon Diggs, he had a contract tweak that you talked about in a recent article with the Bills to kind of give them future cap space. Can you kind of elaborate on how you think that cap space is going to be used in terms of future extensions? And also, can you elaborate on the impact he's going to have on the Buffalo Bills this season? Yeah, so that contract story was kind of interesting because when it first came through the wire, I thought it was a pretty big story in the sense of with Star Lutalele, I forget how to pronounce his name, but the defensive lineman who they had from the Panthers, he opted out. And what they were able to do is bring some of that 
cash that was going to come in Stephon Diggs contract later in, in later years and move that up front right now and pay him now. So that was something that was going to give them a little leeway in uh, two or three years. And that's something that, for example, could go and help uh, Josh Allen and his extension that probably is going to come through in the, in the future. So I thought that was an interesting move, but then it came through that this was actually something that the two agreed to during the trade this off season. So, to be honest with you, it was kind of more of a non-story. I was in the middle of writing it, so I wanted to publish it anyway. Um, but it did give them; it is going to give them some room, regardless, um, in two years or so. So uh, that's a thing that they just agreed to uh, in principle during the trade this off season. That's something that I think has continued to flash the very, very successful regime to this point for Brandon Bean, and part of that regime was his attempt to trade for Antonio Brown that failed, and he ended up in Oakland, and now there's been rumblings about where he's going to go, and you wrote a piece about maybe Marquise Brown wanting him in Baltimore, thinking he could fit there alongside him. Do you see Brown maybe being a fit in Baltimore, or where could you see Antonio Brown ending up? I mean, he could be a fit in Baltimore. Here's my thing. I think that I've already gone on record saying that I think the Ravens are my favorite team to win the Super Bowl this year. I mean, they had a league best record last year. They took their lumps in the postseason. They're probably ready in 2020 with the reigning MVP, Lamar Jackson. So, you know, if it's not broke, don't try to, if it's not broke, don't try to fix it. So they don't necessarily need Antonio Brown. I'm kind of excited about the young wideouts they have right now. And Lamar Jackson led the NFL in touchdown passes. So it's not like they desperately need Antonio Brown right now. So, and then of course you have that uh, possibility that it blows up in your face. I mean, we've seen how it's happened over with his past two teams in the Raiders and then the Patriots. So it's not something that they desperately need, but then again, you know, I talked to one of my colleagues on CBS sports radio, Carrington Harrison, and he said that it would be a fit because the right atmosphere and also just the fact that he's on a contender would be something that could make Nolan void the, the problems that Antonio Brown could potentially bring to a locker room. So the answer is yes, it could be a fit, but if I'm the GM there, I'm not, I'm definitely not making a move to pick him up. Now, one of the biggest stories this offseason was the trade for DeAndre Hopkins heading to Arizona and David Johnson heading to Houston, and the majority of people like to focus on the Hopkins part of it and what he's going to bring to the Cardinals, but do you see David Johnson having a bounce-back year with his fresh start in Houston, or do you see him kind of continuing on the regressional path downwards? I'm leaning towards kind of the middle of those two options. I'm not sure if I would pick one if I was forced to pick one of those options. I don't... I don't, I'm not convinced he's going to regress even more. I thought it was interesting that he didn't fit Cliff Kingsbury's offense in Arizona and that he kind of took a backseat. That definitely surprised me. Um, but he's still, a, he's still a pretty special player when he's healthy. And uh, like you said, obviously we focus on the DeAndre Hopkins facet of that transaction. But at the same time, he's going to be able to come in and, and definitely make an impact uh, for Bill O'Brien. Now, I still don't think that trade was fair. I'm not sure anyone would would say it was, but I do think he can do some things for this Houston offense. They're still going to be in the postseason race, um, so there is definitely that possibility that he could come and and still be a top ten, top fifteen back, which which would be a win in my opinion. Now, one thing you're a Tennessee grad. You know, you worked for Knoxville for Fox Sports. 
one thing that's happened currently with the Tennessee Titans has been this Vic Beasley kind of saga. It ended with him being placed on the not football injury list, but can you kind of take us through what that situation was in Tennessee's eyes and where it stands now with Vic Beasley for the 2020 to 2021 season? Yeah, I wish I had a, I wish I had some inside info to give you guys on what exactly was going down, but no one has it. I mean, he basically didn't report on time. There was rumors that he had an excuse, excuse for a funeral, but at the same time, he took longer than he was supposed to. Then he comes back and he fails his physical. Um, one of the one of my colleagues reported last night that that physical was not a big deal. That he's just basically not in shape right now. That he thinks a couple days he'll be able to pass that physical. So I guess that's not a big deal. But there was a reporter who asked Mike Vrabel a day or two ago that asking what the protocol was with Vic Beasley because he assumed he was in the doghouse, right, after unexcused absences. But Mike Vrabel did not indicate anything like that. He said that, hey, uh, we're excited he's here. We're excited to work with him. So he's not going to have any other punishments, it looks like, other than the financial fines. Um, I did talk to a source in Atlanta who, who knew him and, and or who used to work with him, basically, and said that, uh, you know, he's he kind of doubts his – love of the game of football, which is something that has been brought up with Vic Beasley before. And that's obviously something that you don't want to hear. And of course, that's something that's going to bring up, we get be brought up again when he's uh, late, just reporting to the facility. So I'm hoping that a change of scenery will do wonders for him. I mean, there, he wasn't long ago that he led the league in sacks. I think it was in his second year with the Falcons. So the the Titans have been looking for an outside rusher opposite of Harold Landry, and hopefully he can fit that role. Now, I want to focus on some position battles here because it seems like they're always going on in the NFL, but one in particular that you mentioned in your August 7th article about the Minnesota Vikings, uh, you spoke about the battle at cornerback with now Xavier Rhodes, Mackenzie Alexander, and Trey Wayne's gone. Which of those young cornerbacks do you see really winning and impressing to have those first and second spots throughout the season. Yeah, it's interesting how the Vikings, I mean, that's kind of a storyline that we don't talk about a lot is that they lost like their top three cornerbacks, Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander. So obviously Mike Hughes is someone who, who kind of had an impact. Um, but then you have to look at Jeff Gladney. I mean, I think he was their first round pick. He's somebody that can come in and, and he will automatically play on that outside. So those two players I expect uh, to, to be – uh, the top, probably the top two guys. And it, it, it seems tough because that even if they are the top two guys and they can play up to their potential, the cornerback position will probably still be somewhat of a weakness on this Vikings defense. So it's definitely one to watch in training camp, which I think I published. Um, and, you know, there's young guys all around now that are going to be starting and in that course. So hopefully the Vikings landed a few diamonds in the rough that can come in and make that immediate impact. Now, another battle here that's interesting to me is with the Indianapolis Colts at running back because they have a pretty stacked backfield and it's led right now by Marlon Mack who has shown in the past that he has some capability of being a big play running back and being a starter going forward but with the draft with drafting of Jonathan Taylor it's kind of added a little bit more of a competition there so do you see Taylor pushing Mack for that starting role or is Mack going to be the starter for the majority of this upcoming season. Yeah, to be honest with you, I think Jonathan Taylor will probably eventually take over the starting role. And it's it's kind of a shame towards Marlon Mack because he is coming off of his best year, I think. And I think he's a legitimate starting back in this league. But 
you know, as I publish, running backs kind of come a dime a dozen, right? I mean, you can always find somebody to replace somebody else. So Jonathan Taylor is somebody who has been absolutely outstanding in college. I mean, over 1,900 yards in all three of his seasons, rushing, I think rushing yards, yeah. So, I mean, he, he's a guy who can be your your your, uh, your primary back in the NFL. And he does have some fumbling issues, but I expect Marlon Mack to be probably the starter in the season in the season opener, but at by week eight or so mid season, I would expect that Jonathan Taylor is probably get the probably getting the bulk of touches. Now the NFL released its yearly top one hundred, and there has been slight, uh, slight probably too light of a word. There's been some strong debate about where some people were ranked, including Mahomes being ranked lower than Lamar and Russell Wilson. So among that and maybe some others, what kind of caught your eye from the top 100? Yeah, to be honest with you, like I'm not a huge fan of the NFL top 100, and that's for two reasons. I mean, one, it's like the players the players vote for it, which at the same time is cool. But, I mean, if, if they have a guy who's like their best friend, they're going to they're gonna think that he's the best player in the NFL as opposed to a rival. The other thing is that they go off of what happened last year, and I, I don't think people really understand that. So, for example, they have Lamar Jackson at number one. So that didn't bother me because he was the MVP. He had the best team in the regular season. Patrick Mahomes missed some games with a knee injury. They didn't start off the season exactly that hot. Um, but, you know, they obviously were able to bounce back after that loss in week 10 to the Titans and go undefeated and win the Super Bowl. So Patrick Mahomes is definitely a top top player in the NFL. There's no doubt about it. But having Lamar Jackson there at number one, uh, d- didn't really bother me. Now, in terms of the other battles or the other spots, I can't even probably bring up one to you that I had like a major problem with. I mean, this this thing changes so much. I think that Derrick Henry was like a top ten player this year, and I think he was. I think he might have been unranked in last year's rankings, which is just absurd. So we don't even know who the next who tomorrow or next year's number one could be. I mean, it could be Justin Herbert. It could be anybody who comes in and just takes the league by storm, right? So it's an interesting list, but people get really worked up over it, and I don't understand why. Now you just touched on Justin Herbert, who was the top pick in this year's draft, and looking at the draft now, a year out. It could be very, very different with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 now postponing till the spring at the earliest for a season, and then the continued debate of whether the SEC, ACC, or Big 12 will postpone, well, whether they'll try to play. So with all the kind of uncertainty surrounding the college football world, how could you see the NFL draft happening next year, and kind of what have you heard about what could happen with it? Yeah, so we're not even having discussions about it right now, to be honest. And the reason is because we we can't. Uh, you know, some teams are saying that they're going to, or some conferences are saying that they're going to wait until the spring. Some will some will probably end up canceling altogether, and then there's going to be some that decide they're going to play through, probably like the SEC or Big Twelve. So. It'll be interesting to see, will we see some transfers in terms of highly touted players that go over and switch conferences if they're trying to go to the NFL immediately? Um, will they be able to even play a full season or will it get shut down like we already talked about with the NFL? There's still so much to be figured out. And it's kind of nice because right now I don't have to touch on it at all. I have to see what the college side's going to do. I have to see what whatever they're going to figure out and how it affects our league calendar. And then I'll have a better idea. But right now we're not discussing it at all. We're kind of waiting to see how college is going to work out their issues. And then we'll try to work out our issues that come from that. 
So taking the jump back to the NFL here, I think I can speak for myself, Dylan, and Jets fans everywhere that we were happy when Tom Brady initially left the AFC East before Cam Newton came over. But with Tom Brady now in Tampa, in the NFC with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and the plethora of weapons there, how do you see him performing this season? And do you see them pushing the Saints for that first spot in that division? Potentially. I'm still going to take the Saints. I still believe the Saints... They might be my pick in the NFC this year, to be honest with you. I think that they're going to win the division. I do think Tampa gets a wild card spot, especially with that addition of the extra wild card spot. Tampa fans should 100% expect this team to make the playoffs in 2020. Um, but in terms of like how flashy they will be, how successful they will be, I'm not exactly drinking the Kool-Aid yet. Uh, I want to see how Tom Brady kind of reacts in a new offense because he's He's a he's a hundred years old. This is his first ever change of scenery. So, I mean, this is a challenge for any player who's switching over, even if he really is the greatest of all time. So that that's why I'm waiting before I, I start freaking out and say the Buccaneers are legitimate Super Bowl contenders because. This is going to be a new offense, right? I mean, Jameis Winston was all about throwing downfield, taking chances, getting the most out of those wide receivers uh, like like Godwin and like Mike Evans. So how is Bruce Arians going to change that? Are they going to throw downfield as much? Are the running backs going to get more touches in the throw, in the throwing game? The tight ends are obviously going to get more touches. So is that going to affect the wide receivers? Are their stats not going to be as good for fantasy football? Can Tom Brady remain healthy? Behind this offensive line, there's a lot of questions to be answered. But all in all, I do expect them to take a step forward in the win column, per se. I don't think Tom Brady's going to lead the league in passing yards, but I do think that they'll be a postseason team. But I'll I'll, I'll argue anyone who believes they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender, at least in Tom Brady's first year in Tampa. Okay, so you mentioned earlier that you have the Ravens as your Super Bowl pick, so... You seem high on those two NFC teams, the Saints and the Buccaneers, but along with them, who do you see being the front runners to meet Baltimore in the Super Bowl? Yeah, in the NFC, uh, I mean, I, I like what the Seattle Seahawks, they gave up a lot to get Jamal Adams, of course, but I think he's a great fit there. I mean, they're, they're a team that basically gets double-digit wins every single year. Russell Wilson is, is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I feel like they kind of underperformed last year and they suffered a lot of injuries, especially towards the end of the season. So expect them to be good. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles really loaded up in the wide receiver category and they got Darius Slay on defense. So if Carson Wentz truly is, can, re- can return to that MVP form we saw before he tore his ACL against the Rams a few years ago, the Eagles could be a team to watch out for. There's another team that I'm taking a wild card on, and I looked at some of the gambling odds, and it's not really a wild card at this point, but the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, the biggest addition they made was getting Mike McCarthy because he's a head coach that has been to the big game before. He's been successful before. He took a, he took a year off to really dissect the game and create with a new create a new offensive strategy. So we know the Cowboys have a lot of talent on paper. They just need somebody to come in and kind of make the most of it. That's why I think the Cowboys could be a team to be reckoned with. Um, and apart from that, in terms of competitors, I guess I would say, I mean, the 49ers, of course, I mean, they're the reigning NFC champions. 49ers are going to be good again. They'll probably be a favorite to win the NFC. And I'm interested to see what the Packers do. I mean, will this whole pick of Jordan Love motivate Aaron Rodgers? Can he, uh, can he, can he build on that 13 and three year he had last year with Matt LaFleur? Can Matt LaFleur really show that he's not just a flash in the pan, that he's a legitimate up and coming head coach? Um, But other than that, you know, I'm not exactly high on any other NFC team, I guess. How do you feel about the Rams this season because of 
you know, their big drop-off last season. Do you see them getting back to a competitive football team, or do you see them struggling once again? I think they could take a step forward, but I don't think I would list them in my preseason contenders to win the NFC or win the Super Bowl. I mean, when you ask your when you ask yourself about the Rams, you're kind of asking yourself your opinion on Jared Goff. And I like Jared Goff. I think he's a legitimate starting quarterback, but I don't think he's necessarily – a star and someone who's going to continue to get better and better every single year. I mean, he definitely took a step backwards last year and we're left kind of wondering if he is going to be a star or if Sean McVay is really the second coming of Jesus Christ, like some people were expecting. So I think the Rams can obviously continue to, I think that they can take a step in the right direction because they rid themselves of some players like Todd Gurley and Brandon cooks. They put in some young talent there. I kind of think their running back core is a little underrated with Cam Akers and uh, Henderson from Memphis, John Kelly from Tennessee. So I think that they could have a decent running, running attack, but uh, it's gonna, Sean McVay definitely has a project in front of him. I think that they could possibly get to 10 wins, but that's probably their ceiling. Okay, well, Dylan, do you have any more questions before we close out here? Um, I think I am all set, Jordan. It's been a pleasure for you to uh, come on. And can you tell the people where they can find you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, check me out on Twitter at Jordan Dajani. That's D-A-J-A-N-I. Um, there's no such thing as an off-season at CBS Sports. We're still pumping out a lot of, a lot of uh, content. This week we started our uh, – five or three bold predictions for every single team in the NFL. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we're pumping out a lot of content and thanks for having me on. One question before you, before we uh, head out here, how was it being at university at Tennessee for the uh, four years you were there for their football program? It was great uh, because it wasn't a great in the sense of success in the win column, <laughs> but it was pretty adventurous. I mean, I, I came in with the first year with Butch Jones. So the hype was all around him and we thought we were going to have a, a decent decent year and a decent team and he got us all the way up to something like number six in the country he, he did some exciting stuff like uh, we had a bunch of uh, neutral site games we we put together the biggest college football game of all time we played at Bristol Motor Speedway against Virginia Tech so it's kind of cool getting to stay you know stand on the field in front of 200,000 people that was a whole different feeling then, of course, everything kind of went downhill, and he went fired, and I got to see Jeremy Pruitt come in. So it's a great school. It's a great atmosphere. It's one of the best places to watch a football game for sure. But hopefully one day they'll get it all together so they can actually be a successful team again. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, it was a pleasure. That was Jordan Dejani, NFL writer at CBS Sports. 